4.30, just after the news and traffic break, is always my favorite time of the rush. It's the opportunity to chat with some other folks called our smart speakers about the big topics of the day. Joining me this afternoon, Scott Reed, CTV News political commentator, Faye Johnstone, co-owner and executive director of consulting firm Wisdom to Action, and Tim Powers, the chairman of Summa Strategies and the managing director of Abacus Data. Welcome all to the rush. Let's start with a story that broke uh, just in the last couple of hours. Robert Benzie, Queen's Park Bureau Chief for the Toronto Star, has uh, an article that says that the Doug Ford PC Party of Ontario is set to abandon its annual leaders dinner, which last year and the year before set records for fundraising. Tim Powers, I'm going to start with you. Your thoughts. My understanding is this decision has not been made. Obviously, there's been enough discussion about this uh, to warrant a a leak and and an article on the part of Robert Benzie. But just your, your general thoughts on the the wiseness of this, if in fact this is what the party decides to do. You, Scott Reed, and I, and maybe Faye can perhaps celebrate. No political dinners, not having to raise money <laughs> for them, not having to go for them. I'd say do it, man. We've all been to way too many, and God knows how much money we've spent. But I guess the reality of, of it is, in this day and age, that they are becoming relics. They become easy targets uh, for the party's opponents and, and others to say, well, you know, Joe was there, and Joe sat next to the premier, and look, Joe got a grant, so somehow he benefited from all of that. Most people, as you know, would prefer not to go to those damn things. They're pains in the arse. Nothing really ever happens there other than the big money that gets raised. So, you know, if it is is happening. It's a bit of a, a, a loss to the PC Fund of Ontario, because that's how they vacuum up a lot of cash, but uh, not surprised, uh, because I think this is where all of these major political fundraising dinners are headed, down the trash bowl. Yeah, Tim, I do remember a, a proposal, God, I don't even know how many years ago, where we were going to, you buy a plate to the dinner, and all you got was a plate in the mail. And I thought, what a great idea to not have to go and sit through a 30-minute political speech and, you know, head out to goodness only knows where. Faye Johnstone, your thoughts on this? Do you think this is a, a smart move if, in fact, this is what the PC party does? Uh, are you with Tim in the sense that these are these are relics that really have lost their usefulness in our democracy. I'm absolutely with Tim here. I think, you know, in, in the nonprofit sector, a lot of organizations are moving away from galas just in, in the first place because they, they do take a ton of work to make happen. Uh, and your profit margins aren't as good as they could be uh, if you put that money into other spaces. Uh, but I also think it's it's not a surprise, you know, a Ford's relationship with developers, I think, is, is continuing to evolve. And uh, I think a lot of the folks who may have purchased tickets last year, maybe not so happy this year. And so maybe he's hoping that, you know, there won't be all of the you know other parties raising money on the fact that he's having this dinner. And uh, maybe he's worried that he won't be able to sell quite as many tickets as he has previously. Scott, really curious on your take on this, because um, these are actually the most cost effective and uh, hours effective, volunteer effective ways to raise a ton of money in a short period of time. Uh, so this is a big decision if, in fact, this is where the party ends up. Yeah, but I think we're guilty of generalizing this issue and going, oh, leaders' dinners, I guess they're over now. And this is a specific problem. This is, uh, you know, first, you 
dump the chief of staff to the housing minister. Then you dump the housing minister. Then you bring in Paul Calandra and you cancel, you know, the green belt and roll back every single allotment. Then you say you're going to conduct a complete review of every single MZO. Then you say, all right, what are the other hanging chads here? Oh, the leaders dinner where people muckled up and got their pictures taken. Okay, that looked like graphs. So let's get rid of that. So, I mean, I think this is uh, a... Tim may be right. This may be the way of the world. And Faye may be right that the overhead associated with these events is too onerous and I can more efficiently raise money online. But I don't think this is a general trend. I think this is a specific reaction of a government whose ass is on fire and they know that there's an OPP uh, determination coming as to whether or not there'll be an official police investigation. So, um I think it's I think it's a political response, and I don't know if I was in another party that I would make any kind. I would use it as any sort of precedent. I would determine what may, what's in my self interest as a party, and I wouldn't allow it to be a precedent because this is Doug Ford's problem, not everybody else's problem. Issues management, pure and simple. Yep. Got it. Okay. Uh, Tim Powers, there's a view that we should be increasing uh, photo radar in the form of red light cameras here in the city of Toronto and uh, speed cameras that many of us, well, I shouldn't say many of us, some of us, not naming names, have been caught in at school <laughs> zones and received, thankfully, the warning ticket because it was before the fines came in. Uh, part of the issue here is, you know, do we, do we support an extension of this because there's no boots on the ground, as we like to say? And it also will require an additional administrative burden to treat these fines in a similar way as the City of Toronto treats parking infractions. So it becomes an administrative function. Your thoughts on that, Tim? Is, is it, First of all, is the right thing to be doing uh, instead of additional enforcement and policing in front of you when you come around that corner? Um, and does it make sense that we have to sort of build a new bureaucracy to be able to enforce it? I mean, you know, government program, we got to have a bureaucracy, Jeff. So let's not, <laughs> uh, let's not lose that. But look, uh, Faye will know this if he's in Ottawa today. One of the big stories here in Ottawa today is one of the extremely effective photo radar cameras in and around the Glebe that's put out hundreds of tickets. Code, lots of new incoming cash for the city of Ottawa. These are revenue generation tools. They are not policing tools in the purest sense of the word. So if you accept that... Uh, uh, and, you know, I, I don't know how effective they truly are in terms of correcting people's behavior. I think they're more effective in uh, in getting people um, while they're speeding and then getting them to pay eventually, particularly if they want to up or re-up their license. So as a policing tool, probably not so useful. As a revenue generation tool, I think we're going to see more and more of these. And people will say, yes, yes, it's addressing, you know, uh, speed racing and all of that. But I think that's bunk. Faye Johnstone. Uh, I would agree. Um, you know, I'm. I'm. I don't. Ha- I just got my G1 license for the second time, so I can't. <laughs> I have very little. I did used to drive more often than I do today. I had my G2 previously, uh, but I. I am a commuter. I'm a walker. Uh, but I do think it's always a good time when drivers are informed to maintain uh, at the speed under at or around the limit. And I'm happy to see efforts do that. But I don't love it if they do, you know, shift over to feeling like a source of income for mun- municipality rather than a way of keeping our streets safe. Scott Reed, I was proud to be part of a government that got rid of photo radar on our highways. What say you? Look, I think that all the statistics demonstrate that, A, they're effective at deterring people and causing people to slow down once they're aware that the cameras are there. 
too. They gen, gen, for sure generate lots of revenue, which is not a bad thing for municipalities. Uh, and three, I think the bureaucracy thing is a bit of a red herring. I mean, they can contract to do that. They can, they'll yeah. figure something out to make that worthwhile. But notwithstanding all of those things, I hate it. I hate it because I feel as a driver that you got to catch me, man. Like if I'm doing something wrong and you invest your detective skills in lurking around the corner and banging out there with a shotgun or the uh, radar shotgun and ban- and blast me, then fine. You got me, fine. Slap the cuffs on me, find me. You got me. But this eye in the sky, it's so lazy. It just doesn't, it doesn't feel right. Unless you can catch me with your hands, you shouldn't take money from my wallet. On that note, let's take a break for traffic. <laughs> Stay with us. Scott Reed, Faye Johnstone, Tim Powers, our smart speakers this afternoon. You're listening to Deb Hutton sitting in for Rush Munair on The Rush. Stay with us. Welcome back. Thanks for being along. It's Deb Hutton filling in for Rush Munair. And I am joined uh, with our by our smart speakers this afternoon. Scott Reed, CTV News political commentator. Faye Johnstone, co-owner and executive director of consulting firm Wisdom to Action. And Tim Powers, chairman of Summa Strategies and the Managing Director of Abacus Data. Story today talking about the salaries of some of our biggest charities throughout the nation and uh, putting those salaries out there, which I have no problem with whatsoever. I actually think it's a smart thing both for for charities to do and for watchdogs of these things to do. The real question is, does it matter what the head of a charity that you might support in your own personal life or perhaps in your corporate life, what they make. Does that have an impact on your giving? Faye Johnstone, I'm going to start with you on this. Does this concern you when we get into, obviously, six figures plus for charities, some of them bigger, some of them smaller? I think it's tough, uh, and I think as as the uh, as one of the charities commented, you know, it depends on the size of the organization and being competitive. I uh, have a background in nonprofits and in charities where most of the time we're struggling to pay folks what they deserve, and that includes uh, executive salaries, where we are struggling to offer folks the kind of compensation they deserve for difficult jobs. I left the nonprofit sector because I wanted to live a life where I could make my ends meet and not struggle living paycheck to paycheck. But sometimes it really does balloon to a degree that should be concerning. I like to see there being some degree of relationship between a lowest paid and a highest paid employee. And I think that's a, a way to have some fairness. Uh, but I also think we it's easy to scrutinize a CEO of a charity making good money because you think, well, they work for a charity. They don't deserve that kind of compensation. They should do it because it's the right thing to do. But these are professionals who deserve to be well-paid and they're doing work that we need to have done. Scott Reed, you know, when, when I was in the corporate world and we had a charitable arm, we were always conscious of the sort of administrative, which obviously includes salaries, to the size of the overall charity and making sure that we were within a really small bandwidth. For me, it doesn't matter if that's one person making 300000 or 10 people, as long as that ratio is really, really low for administrative to the good works of the charity. But your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm, I'm generally in agreement. So the, uh, the 
the direct answer to your direct question is yes, it has affected my giving in the past. Um, there have been times where I've said, you know, that they call it the ratio, like the cost per right. dollar raised, right? right? So, you know, like how how much overhead out of each dollar that they raise go, or how much how much how much revenue out of each dollar raised goes to overhead and so forth. Um, and you know, I'm not. Like, I'm not against people making a good buck and they're running a complex organization that's doing good work, but you've got to make certain that you're driving that overhead down. Um, and there's lots of cool and interesting ways and innovative ways to do that. You can do social finance to help subsidize uh, a charitable organization. Um, obviously, you want to keep, you know, the amount of money that you spend down. But, you know, if you if you get the whiffs that an organization is spending like 40, 50 percent of what it's raised on um, you know, itself, then, you know, there have been times where I've like, I don't know, man, it feels like people are living high in the hog and I'm out of here and I'm not trying to be knee jerk, but I, I have redirected my giving in the past due to those kinds of considerations. Tim Powers, uh, Scott did a better job of, I did sort of explaining the, the ratio of, of your overhead to, to what the organization does, which is for me a much better mark than what does one individual make in the organization? Well, you're seeing a lot of charities now, too, when you make a donation, will be explicit in saying that, you know, 100% of this donation is going to the cause that you picked. And they're getting smarter that way because people are making choices like Scott has has talked about around, uh, you know, they don't want administrative burden and, and, and bloat to get in there. But look, running a charity is not taking a vow of poverty either. You haven't joined the Catholic Church. So if you joined the Catholic Church, you'd be land rich and you'd have some legal issues to deal with, of course, on the other side of it. But, you know, people should be paid accordingly. Scott, yesterday, I heard him, credit to him, spoke very compellingly about the gap and the political tensions that causes when we hear about CEO salaries and the people at the top of publicly traded companies. This isn't that at all. You run your charity well. You run your advocacy body well, because a lot of the charities named today are also advocacy bodies. That's fine. Uh, People can choose themselves much more easily uh, as it relates to a charity than they can uh, as it relates to a business that's paying a CEO figures that may cause them to uh, churn. I, uh, I started the show today, my first opportunity to host um, this this year, uh, sort of saying that I'm still kind of processing what happened here in the city on uh, uh, yesterday morning at 6 a.m., uh, where a Jewish deli, Jewish-run, Jewish-owned deli was, was the target of hate-motivated arson. Just, I guess, want to take an opportunity to, to get your temperature on this to each of the three of you. I, I feel as though... This particular incident has crossed a line, and and I find it, you know, I've found lots of things that have been said and done in the in the last couple of months since October the seventh to be beyond troubling. This this takes it to a new level for me, and just curious for each of your thoughts. I'll start with you, Faye. I think it's it's devastating, and I, I hate that we are where we are. Uh, I'm curious to see what the investigation unfolds. But you know, I hate that it has to be said. But arson is never a solution to any kind of problem in any kind of context in Canada. It is just not the thing that we should be doing. Uh, I I'm appalled that this is happening. I'm appalled that. Uh, you know, hate seems to be becoming more normal and we're stepping more and more outside of the bounds of what I consider to be you know, how good citizens should comport ourselves. Um, but I, I, I wish I had a, you know, a recommendation or a next step for this. Uh, but I'm just I'm just reeling that this is the normal that we're living in today. Scott. 
I think some of the lines are becoming blurred, and I think that we need to redraw them and in bold, dark ink. And so when people criminally, um, you know, overtake an overpass and halt traffic, um, obviously if people commit arson, um, if any and all of this is fueled by hatred of a specific community, um, I th think the amount of anti-Semitism, the brazenness of it, uh, the you know, the, the, the kind of the lack of shame, you know, when I was a kid, there were bigots. They would gather behind, you know, the uh, Odd Fellows Club at eight o'clock at night um, in secret. Um, now nobody's ashamed. It's just outright and it's bold and it's empowered. And there's a whole bunch of currents to run into that. But my God, you talk to people in the Jewish community in this city right now um, and they feel emotionally raw. They feel abandoned. They feel let down. And they feel literally under threat. And I just think that we've got to redraw those boundaries because uh, um, it doesn't it, it doesn't feel like the response is precise enough, clear enough and condemning enough. Tim Powers, I agree 100% with Scott. I, I will say the one slight bright light in this is that I've been pleasantly surprised by the, the, I think, clarity of language coming from Toronto police, which gives me some little hope that, as, as one of the police officers said, this was a tipping point, that maybe we're on a new path, uh, similar to what Scott is talking about. Yeah, I agree with you on the Toronto Police. I agree with everything that uh, Scott and Faye have said. I would say, though, there's still a challenge as it relates to the the broader public national discourse. I mean, the the, the, the national government, the, the Trudeau Liberals, as you know, have had a lot of trouble with this issue. Um, I'm not saying they've contributed, and certainly the Prime Minister, to be fair, has called out uh, anti-Semitism, but I, I, I think there's an acceptability that's crept into our culture about being hateful, as Scott has said. And one of the things that we all grew up with uh, was calling people out for saying the wrong thing, for saying hateful things. And there was a little bit of public shame they felt that needs to come back again. And the responsibility of our leaders, first and foremost? Uh, yeah, absolutely. They, they need to they they need to set the tone. Now, tone is more important in this world, but unfortunately, there's still a lot of catering to wedges as opposed to solving hard problems with tough and fair language, not inflammatory language. I have done a lousy job of time management, my friends. Uh, so I apologize. That's it for the topics we're going to get through. If we start a new one, we will run out of time. Scott Reed, CTV News political commentator, Faye Johnstone Coner, and executive director of consulting firm Wisdom to Action, and my friend Tim Powers, the chairman of Summa Strategies and the managing director of Abacus Data. Thank you all for joining me this last half hour for that discussion.